Well, open with me in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Romans, book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Uh, we'll read that in a moment, but uh, to begin, chapter 1, verse 21, verse 21. Um, we're in the middle of a series in James, but we're taking a pause in the middle of our series through James. I just felt like preaching on Thanksgiving this morning, okay? Um, I, I felt thankful, but also that I needed a sermon on thankfulness, and so here we are. Next week, we'll, if the Lord wills, baptize two brothers into Christ and into this body, and so we'll have a sermon on the subject of baptism next week. And then we're in December in Matthew 1 and 2, we'll have another sermon in January, and then we'll get back to James in good time. Is that all right with you all? Okay. I was looking forward to plodding along in James as well, but sometimes this is, this is good. We'll take a little breather from James to get back to that book in earnest. Just one verse to open our service and sermon. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Scripture says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And this is God's word for us this morning. Now, when my heart was leaping into the theme of thanksgiving, it wasn't aiming at this passage. This is just where I ended up, for your sake and mine. Um, I actually thought we might end up in Psalm 100, for example, um, or Psalm 95, and just rummaging around the scripture, I just kept coming back to Romans chapter 1 and this verse on ingratitude, if that's okay, which is actually en route to gratitude. This text is a means of helping us understand all that is involved in thanksgiving and all the stakes that are involved in our thanksgiving. So what comes to mind when you hear the word thanksgiving? Holiday, no doubt. It's a good national holiday. It goes way back to our beginning of beginnings. Pilgrims hit shore, gave thanks to God for his really miraculous provision of a good harvest when they needed it. Many had died in a small group that had landed off the Mayflower and with the help of natives. And that story would change and take different turns, of course. But it is a marvelous thing that they were taught how to grow corn and take care of it, and that they were given a good harvest and survived. And for us to know about it, it's appropriate for us to celebrate that as a nation. And the impetus for that first Thanksgiving, though it may not have been called that, is Thanksgiving in the heart to God. And that's something that Christians are ever about. So maybe the holiday comes to mind, and that would be appropriate as Americans for sure. Or maybe you just think of a personality trait. Some people are just thankful people, and some people are just grumpy and unthankful. Maybe you think of it like, hey, strengths and weaknesses, you know, his strength is thanksgiving and my strength is, you know, seeing, you know, the problems so that we can solve them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't call yourself picky or annoyable or uh, critical or just mean, um, you know, you see problems and so you can solve them. Well, I can relate with that a little bit. 
I think we all can. It's more than a personality trait, of course. Or maybe you hear Thanksgiving and you think, yeah, I could use some more of that uh, from everybody else. Maybe you have a thankless job. You, you do work that no one, no one sees, and you're happy to do that work that no one sees often enough, but it'd kind of be nice for someone to notice it. Um, or maybe you do work that everyone sees, and no one gives you thanks for that. <laughs> it would be kind of nice if everyone who notices your imperfect work would give you a word of thanks every now and then. Well, Thanksgiving, maybe all kinds of things come to mind. How about the answer to the world's problems? Let's read the whole passage here. 18 through verse 32. Um, If Thanksgiving for our nation is a time when we zoom way out and we give thanks to God for those embryonic beginnings and God's provision... Um, This is a passage that zooms way, way out. And as it happens, Thanksgiving is right there at the beginning as well, as we'll see. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, the Apostle Paul writes, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchange the natural relations for those who are for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameful acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error and since they did not see fit to acknowledge god god gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Thanksgiving as the answer to the world's problems. A big claim, but there it is, uh, the denial of thanks to God right at the beginning of the story of humanity. And that's what Romans 1 verses 18 through 32 is. It's a a very high-level summary of what went wrong with the human race. Uh, It's also the story of any given civilization at a time or over time. It's the story of any human life at a given time or over time apart from God's grace. In a civilization that has humbled itself before God and received the grace of God, 
uh, may over time, like our own in the West, uh, find itself on the downward slide here, even if claiming to be wise with very sophisticated arguments, we think we're only making progress and instead we're actually making fools of ourselves. I hope you know what I mean. So this Romans 1 passage, I want you to know about Romans 1, uh, is the story of the human race, the story of any civilization, it's the story of any human life. We'll take it in two parts today. The essence and effects of ingratitude, and part two will be the echo of God's grace in our words of thanksgiving. The essence and effects of our ingratitude. Here we focus on verses 18 through 20. We're having to make a bigger deal out of a word we don't make that big of a deal out of this morning. Gratitude or thanksgiving. Uh, And now thinking about and pondering in slow motion, what exactly is thanksgiving? And we'll start by the reverse, pondering what a lack of thankfulness or ingratitude is. What is its essence, the essence of gratitude. Well, let's stare there at verse 21, and then we'll move around the passage for more help. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Let's stop there. Interpreting this matter of ingratitude or failing to give thanks to God with some of the expressions and failures around that particular failure, we might say, that ingratitude is a denial of the knowledge of God. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give give thanks to Him. God has revealed Himself clearly in what He has made. Did you hear what He said there? Verse 19, what can be known about God is plain to them, that is humanity, because God has shown it to them. Why is it plain? Well, God showed it to them. Uh, Keep going here. For his invisible attributes, uh, the the invisible God that we cannot see, his, his invisible attributes, what he's like is visible to us. His eternal power is plain to us. His divine nature is plain to us. Having been clearly, is he clear enough? Clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In what? In the things that have been made. God, no matter the sophisticated arguments and the wise sounding books and the clever YouTube videos, God has made himself plain. He has given us incontrovertible proof of his divine nature and his eternal power so that every person that encounters the creation that God made is without excuse. And that thought ought to make us each to tremble He's revealed himself with proofs of his nature that are plain, they're explicit, and that are persuasive. So it's not just that they're plain, but they're compelling. Like reasonable people should look at the creation and be able to articulate 
what God is like and that he is powerful, that he is the creator of all things. Paul teaches us that God has revealed himself. But of course, we had to be taught that, not because we didn't know, but because we don't like it. We suppress the truth and unrighteousness. He reveals himself and we reject what he teaches us. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Suppress the truth. Verse 21, back here, for although they knew God, okay, so they knew God, but they didn't honor him as God. Look at verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. So the truth about God is ours, but then we, we exchange that for a lie that we prefer. And we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. We'll get to that in a moment. But verse 28 kind of says it a different way. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he gave them, he gave them up. So God has revealed himself in creation we have rejected that revelation. We've suppressed him, though we know him. We don't acknowledge him. We exchange the truth for a lie. And all of this we do with a high degree of sophistication in any age and in any place. Um, religions that seek to account for the creation are sophisticated. They're sophisticated answers to a question that is straightforward, that is straightforwardly answered in what God has made. Now, there are other sermons for compassion on the lost, and even in the book of Romans, Paul writes with a missionary purpose. In fact, the only reason he's getting into all this is because he's seeking to convince his readers in the church in Rome of their great need for a solution to the problem of unrighteousness, a solution that comes to us in God's gift of righteousness that is then preached and proclaimed so that all might hear. Uh, Romans chapter 1 is a missionary support letter, basically. And to demonstrate the need uh, for giving to this work that will not be accomplished apart from the generous giving of the people of God in Rome in this case, he begins with the problem. Uh, good salesman... Call him whatever you want. Uh, but he's not over-pitching. He's not manipulating reality. There really is a problem, and there really is a solution to match it. Our sermon this morning is from the problem, of course. God has revealed himself plainly and persuasively in what he's made, and we have rejected it with sometimes simple and often sophisticated arguments so that we might not confess him or worship him as he deserves. Um, the essence of, of ingratitude involves a denial of the knowledge of God. It involves the denial of the honor of God. Uh, back to verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. These ideas are so close together. There's the or there doesn't mean they're they're entirely different ideas, although they're not exactly the same. Uh, 
just think of how closely honor or worship and praise is with thanksgiving. Remember Psalm 95, which I mentioned, a call to sing to the Lord, to make a joyful noise, to come into his presence with thanksgiving, to worship and bow down. Or Psalm 100, to make a joyful noise, to serve the Lord with gladness, to sing to him. Know that the Lord is God, to acknowledgement, he is God. And he made us. Okay, very simple. <laughs> to worship the Lord requires the acknowledgement that he is God, that he made us, that we are his. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And a reason for he's good, not just great as creator, but good. Well, that's the book of Psalms. And consider in the book of Revelation at the other end of the Bible, where we hear living creatures in heaven giving glory and honor and thanks to God. Thanks is always in there with worship. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Right there, the song in the midst of those giving thanks to God in heaven. So, so ingratitude, ingratitude involves the denial of the knowledge of God. It involves the denial of God's honor. Look at verse 23. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is the story of humanity not worshiping the invisible God, but preferring, say, to manipulate the water and the sky and their fertility and their lives through the creation of little statues um, in order to gain access to and to manipulate an invisible God that stands behind it. Uh, imagining the gods to be like us rather than us to be fallen, imperfect reflections of the God who is from forever and over all and who is, who is one. Exchange, though. I want to highlight that word, exchange. They've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. In verse 25... They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Okay, so, that's, so what happens when we deny the truth about who God is for a lie? We then worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Uh, Chris mentioned uh, during our uh, more uh, uh, between songs that we, our hearts are an idol factory. Well, that's exactly true. John Calvin said as much. We're constantly creating new, lesser, creature-like uh, gods, fake gods, pseudo-gods to worship instead of the one true and living God. The essence of ingratitude is a denial of the knowledge of God, and it's a denial of God's honor. So let me bring this down to a simple thought here. Thanksgiving, although I've said is a denial of the knowledge of God and a denial of his honor, is really more than merely a negation or silence on the matter. To double-click on that word exchange, it involves a replacement, a replacement 
God, one that we have made up. The reason why we are ungrateful is not because we are ignorant merely. It's not because um, it's not because we're distracted or uninformed. It is because we are self-interested. We have a problem with the God of the universe. We do not like having to acknowledge that we did not create ourselves, that we do not keep ourselves alive, that we do not deserve credit for every good thing that we enjoy and that comes from us and through us to others. The scriptures teach that God is before us. Indeed, nature says as much, but we love to be the source of ourselves. The scriptures teach that God is over us, but we love to be the sovereign of our lives. The scriptures teach that God is under us, upholding us, sustaining us, but we don't like the idea that we need upholding. It hurts our pride, which is exactly what it does. It means we aren't as great as we think we are. If God as he's revealed in creation, really is, then we are not as great as we would like to think. We would prefer to say, look at what I have made. Look at what I have earned. Look at what I have done. Look at what I have given to you and give thanks to me. And at the bottom of it all, Look not at what I've done or what I've earned or what I've given, but look at who I am. We are the center of our lives. Well, how does God respond to this? Well, verse 18 gives it away. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He responds with wrath. Now, there's an end time final judgment to come, but the wrath that Paul describes here against those whose lives are marked by ingratitude um, is not what we might be thinking of when we think of wrath. We move now from the essence of ingratitude to the effects of ingratitude. I promise the sermon will get more sunny, as the book of Romans does, but but we, we plot along. This is not a sunny passage at the moment. The effects of ingratitude... Notice verse 24, he gave them up in the lusts of their heart. For this reason, God gave them up. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. It's, it's a handing us over to, to what we are asking for. If we would not have God, if we would prefer a godless life, then we will have a godless life. And that has a certain look to it and a certain feel to it, a certain darkness to it. Certain effects on the self, on relationships, and even our relationship with God, of course. On the self, the effects of ingratitude. On the mind, the heart, and on the body. On the mind, verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not honor him, God, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. The mind. We're said to be inventors of evil so many verses later. Uh, the news is full of the evil inventions that come out of the human heart. 
We're not all as as bad as we could be, but we all have the same problem at base. I would not be the same person, even apart from Christ, were I born in Gaza, for example. I would not be the same person born in any other place. You and I can give thanks to God for however many restraints on the evil in our own heart, but just know that all the evil that ever comes between Man and man on this earth came from the same heart that you share. We're all made of the same material in Adam, cut from Adam's cloth. Well, here the mind, the mind is affected. We don't give thanks to God. We don't want to honor him. And so we're given up to futile thinking. Verse 8 here, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, see the connection here, God gave them up to a debased mind. And from that debased mind, then they do what ought not to be, to be done. There's a movement from the mind and the thinking and the rationalization and the conspiring to, to the doing. And even back to verse 21 now, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became, it's passive, highlights God's action in giving them over to a futile or a corrupted mind. Corrupted mind means it doesn't work right. Our minds don't work right. We aren't as smart as we think. We we don't reason morally correctly. We reason morally in such a way as to get where we decided we wanted to get in the first place. There's something that we want, and we will reason our way to it uh, with the most absurd arguments. Sophisticated sounding, remember, claiming to be wise. They became fools, but foolish nonetheless. Lord knows. The mind is affected by our ingratitude as God gives us over to futile thinking. Uh, The heart, verse 21 again, uh, they knew God, uh, but they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. A darkened, foolish heart. In verse 24, he gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. The heart being the, the desire box. The things you want will kill you. Catch this, uh, early young people. I pray you're confessing and professing Christ as Lord, and so you receive this humbly and say, yes, Lord, the things that I want are bad for me, and worse, they're against you and even against nature. Oh, how self-destructive we are in our sin. And it's a sad matter to look back on our own lives and to see what we've done to ourselves and others. And it's a sad thing to look out at the lives of others and in our world and to see what humans do to themselves in sin. Uh, There's some eye-rolling to be done. There's some anger to be expressed appropriately and in the right ways. Um, But there's also some tears to be shed. This is a sad case. That humanity made in the image of God to know God as he is and to trust and obey him for all that he is and his goodness, that we would have a futile, corrupted mind that serves debased and corrupted desires. And it goes farther than our desires, of course. All this spills over into what we do with our bodies. And right here isn't the whole story, of course. You have in verse 24, 
the dishonoring of bodies among themselves. Verse 26, dishonorable passions. Women exchange the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. That's obvious enough. Uh, Likewise, the men gave up natural relations with women and consumed with passion for one another. We find in ourselves, born in Adam, desires that are contrary to nature. And those are because of sin and the curse, and they are indeed sinful and need to be put to death. And God will redeem us from them one day entirely if we're in Christ, and we can look forward to that day. But see, this, this matter of homosexual desire and acts is not the, um, the only matter Paul would have in mind as an example of how we go about living in an ungodly way, in a godless way. It's simply, neither is it the worst, although it is an egregious sin, but it's simply illustrative, a particularly vivid illustration of how upside down we are. And you're upside down in your own ways. All sin is upside down. All sin is backwards. Follow me here. All sin is backwards. All sin is inside out. All sin converts life and something that is intended to give life to death. To, to press a little bit without getting too graphic. Just think about what our holes are meant for. As far as I'll go here, life-giving and death. And somehow, because of this story here, we find ourselves desiring death and giving ourselves over to it. And these relations here, which are unnatural, are an illustration of just how sinful all of us are in our hearts and just how backwards and inside out and and reversed we are in our hearts and in our desires. It's no wonder the Bible starts with God creating humankind in his image. Male and female, he made them. He created them for each other, and they were naked and not ashamed. But here we have, Paul says, men and women committing shameless acts, which doesn't mean they're without shame. It just means they felt no shame in them. And where does it all lead? Verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree and that those who practice such things deserve to die, deep down we all know this is wrong or that is wrong, but then we harden ourselves. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And of course, that is the end of the line for a person. It's the end of a line for a civilization. It's the end of the line for for humanity. It's where the Bible puts us. The effects of ingratitude. Remember where this began? Adam in the garden, not giving thanks to God for what God made, then exchanged the truth about God and God's word for the word of a serpent and went from life to death. Think of the story of Israel to hold out the prominence of thankfulness in the Bible's story. Let's see if we can think of a test case Uh, for a people who would have the very best opportunity and reasons for giving thanks to God ever outside the garden, and it would be Israel, miraculously delivered from bondage in Egypt through waters that were miraculously parted. They were fed with manna from, 
from heaven. The Lord uh, appeared to them uh, at the mountain, gave them his word. He gave them a leader in Moses, and they grumbled, and they grumbled, and they grumbled against Moses, and they grumbled against the Lord, and even talked about how they wished they could go back to Israel. Oh, it comes out of the human heart. A sign of a broken and fallen and sinful and unsaved heart is a a heart that gives way to ingratitude, a heart that does not give thanks to God. It affects ourselves, another effect on our relationships and society. Verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with, here's a list, all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, they were slanderers, haters of God, intellect, insolent, haughty, boastful, uh, creators, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And of course, the world at Noah's Noah's time was filled with violence. The thoughts and intents of every man's heart was only evil continually, we are told. And then there's the effects on our relationship with God. In verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree, deep down we do that those who practice such things, remember the list, deserve to die. We live before God, every human person, with a lurking sense, a lurking even certainty, if we pay any attention, that we are in big trouble with God. And it's no wonder that the sophisticated, wise-sounding religions or philosophies have to deal with the problem of sin and morality and guilt and, and death, and we kind of talk ourselves out of this, but scripture says we all know it down deep that we know that we deserve to die. And so we live before God with this sense of guilt and a fear of impending judgment. We live in bodies of death. The essence and the effects of ingratitude. Well, that's a lot to unload into ingratitude, isn't it? Well, Paul put that word there in verse 21, not me. Although I picked the passage for today. So you're welcome. You can thank me later. Now, let's bring the sun up. The echo of God's grace in our words of thanksgiving. The echo of eternity and specifically God's grace in our words of thanksgiving. Now, inverting... uh, 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 what we've heard about ingratitude. Let's think about what is thanks. What is thanksgiving? Here's a shot. Thanksgiving is the humble acknowledgement of who God is, with happy appreciation for all that He gives. Thanksgiving is the humble acknowledgement of who God is, with the happy appreciation for all that he gives. It's an acknowledgement that he is before us. He is our source and beginning. We do not have life apart from him. If you don't have life apart from him, how can you not acknowledge the God who gives 
you life. It's the happy, humble acknowledgement that he is over us, that he is sovereign and that he knows best, that he made our bodies for a purpose and he gave us life for a reason and that he has authority over us as it is. And it's the happy, humble acknowledgement and appreciation that God is not only before us and over us, but he is under us and upholding us. Not only does he provide for your next breath, but he offers us in Jesus a way to face death. Words. Words of thanksgiving when offered to God genuinely are more than just noise. I use the word echo on purpose. So think of Think of noise. When we talk, so often we talk to bring attention to ourselves, and our talking brings attention to ourselves. But there is a way to talk that directs attention outward to others, even upward to God. And that's what an echo is. You hear an echo and you look, where did it, where did it come from? And where, where, did it, where did it begin? Our words of thanksgiving, Christian, are echoes from eternity. But even more than an echo of God's glory or his goodness or his generosity in all that he has made, our songs and prayers and words of thanksgiving as Christians and as a church are echoes of the grace of God. Now, God was gracious to give Adam everything he had in the garden, but I mean grace here in his, his saving, gracious sense. For consider what God did to make us thankful people. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5 for a moment. Just a page or two over. Verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, so he, he creates the world and he sets us in it and he gives us the gift of marriage and he wakes us up in the morning and he sets the sun in the sky. It's beautiful, isn't it? All the colors we have and all the food we ate this last week and the family we were with and every good thing, no matter how hard this last week was, he gets credit for. And yet while we were still not giving thanks, God shows his love for us and that while we were unthankful, Christ died for us. So, so maybe, maybe ingratitude this morning will seem like a bigger deal than it did when you walked in. And, and here's the encouragement. New Christian, um, struggling Christian, on, on the one hand, God has big plans for you. Uh, when Jesus comes back and you see him face to face, you're going to be like him as he is, for you'll see him as he is. And wouldn't that be nice if that happened now? Wouldn't it be nice not to struggle with sin because we still have 
old man Adam desires in this broken desire box of ours, and our minds still make the stupidest arguments for the behaviors we want to commit. But you're acknowledging it humbly, and that's a sign of life. But get this, if ingratitude is a, is a bigger deal than maybe we thought when we came in, simple thankfulness is also a bigger deal than maybe we thought when we came in this morning. So, so, so try this on for the radical Christian life. Today, with your word hole, with your mouth, sorry, I think that was a Beavis and Butthead uh, reference from the 90s. Uh, I was allowed to watch that. Children don't watch it. But it's kind of a fun, funny way to refer to your mouth. It's been maybe 30 years. With your mouth, okay, your simple mouth with which you speak words, make a verbal, humble acknowledgement of who God is today with a happy appreciation for all that God gives. That's radical Christianity. That's the kind of thing that we weren't doing in Adam, in the garden, that got us into wars and more wars and trouble and broken relationship and divorce and all the things that happened in the dark Paul wrote about here. Thankfulness. Well, you can work on that. It kind of sounds easy, right? Well, when you find yourself giving humble acknowledgments of who God is and with happy appreciation for all that he gives, uh, you can give God credit for that. For while you were still in your ingratitude, Christ died for us. He died for you. And, and, and this was so that God might show his love for you. While we were still weak at the right time, is to say, according to God's plan, he died, Christ did, for the ungodly, for the godless, for those who were living godless lives, for those who said, I won't acknowledge God, I'm happy to be God myself, I'm good at that, uh, for those who said, I don't need to give thanks to God because I don't appreciate what he's given me because uh, he's irrelevant, it's mine anyways. No, God saves us in order to make us humble and happy acknowledgers of who he is and those who are appreciative of all that he gives. To be a Christian, in a very simple sense, is to, is to confess that you are a great receiver, that your life is not your own, that you did not make yourself, that you do not sustain yourself. But more than that, it is to acknowledge that God is a very great giver. Now, speaking personally, I can remember, I may have heard the gospel beforehand. I, I remember being sung over with hymns as a young child. Uh, but the lights came on and God removed the veil for me when I was a teenager. And I remember I, back, you know, and when you're in California, you, you go on a little youth group trip to hike Half Dome at Yosemite. No joke just signed a little permission thing, and then I was on top of 
half dome. You need permits for that, and people die on that dome. I'm really glad I did it, though. And you should do it, too. Just know the Lord before you go to Ike Half Dome. <laughs> and bring gloves, because I had to borrow some gloves. And an extra sandwich, because I had to borrow a sandwich, too. I had no idea what I was in for. But I remember standing on top of that mountain, having been sitting under the regular preaching of the Word of God for only a handful of weeks, maybe a few months, and thinking, God made all of this. And, and the story I told, told myself for a while was, that was the first time that I knew. Well, maybe more accurate to what Paul is saying, that was when, by the grace of God, I was willing to acknowledge that he created all things and that I was his. I remember standing on top of that mountain looking around and confessing God as creator and more than that, at least as it was starting to become clear to me, the one who makes a new creation, the one who saves. And so maybe you've got a memory of, of that coming into focus, or maybe you don't. But if you find yourself this morning willing to humble yourself with a clear acknowledgement of who God is as creator, and with happy appreciation in your heart for all that he gives, certainly and especially the grace of his son, and that is a great sign for you. And if you've come this morning and you're an ungrateful person, but it's not just that you're ungrateful, but as you know yourself, you are not grateful to God, then I would only invite you, compel you to give yourself, to give in to what is obvious in creation, that God is one, that there is a creator who has made you, and to give yourself to the Lord Jesus whom God has sent in love to show that he loves you, that he might die for you. And he did this when you were yet a sinner. Now, God makes a thankful person. And thankfulness is a sign that you know him. So back to Romans chapter, chapter 1. The effects of sin on the self and our relationships in relationship with God. How is that guilt dealt with? It is guilt with, dealt with through the, 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 the death of Jesus who died to take our sin. The righteousness of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. But there is a righteousness that is available to us apart from our own act of obedience. And it is the perfect obedience of Jesus in his life and our guilt taken away by means of his death on the cross. Something received by faith, by grace through faith, which is to say, even in coming into a thankful heart, which begins with a confession of Christ as Lord, God as creator, Christ as Lord, and your need for salvation, to become a Christian is to humble yourself, not only before the God who is creator, but this is even harder, and it's why conversion is a miracle, because we, we not only have to say, you are right all along, you're the creator, but while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And so if you can say, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me, that is a great sign that God has performed the miracle of salvation in you. Now, a few steps before we, we land this morning. An example, an exhortation, an experiment, and an exercise. 
an example. The Apostle Paul, in the course of his letters, gave us a marvelous example of a man who gives thanks to God. Let me just read a few lines from his letters. How he opened Romans, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because of your faith proclaimed in all the world. In 1 Corinthians, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8, thanks be to God who put it into the heart of Titus, the same earnest care that I have for you. Or thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Ephesians, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in remembrance of you, he writes to the Philippian, to the Philippian church. A few observations about Paul's thankfulness that you can put to work. It's not a generic thankfulness. He's not just a thankful person. He's explicitly, in near every instance, thankful to God. Now, we can give thanks to others, and we should do that. We should say, thank you to our wives, and thank you to our husbands, and kids to our parents, and parents to our kids. But ultimately, we ought to be doing a whole lot of thanks to God for someone or something that we've received. That's what Paul's doing here. I thank my God. I give thanks to God. Thanks be to God. But thanks be to God, he says over and over again. He gives thanks to God. And it's the triune God. It's to the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit, if I were to read more verses. It's thankfulness for everything. He says, I give thanks always and for everything to God. And it's constant. It has a special attention to the eternal things. For he's thanking God for their faith. He's thanking God for their love. He's thanking God for the victory that is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a thankfulness to the triune God. It's thankfulness for everything and especially the eternal things. It's thankfulness all the time. And it's thankfulness out loud. He's writing this. I'm thankful to God for you. So could we be a church where the words I'm thankful to God for you because is a regular refrain on our our lips. When we circle up at evening prayer once a month or in small groups, And and it's asked, how can we pray this evening? Or how can we pray for one another? Well, for one another entails petition, asking God, and that's important. But maybe we would chime in with words of thanks. And words of thanks for everyday things. If for any other reason, to remind ourselves and each other that these things, from anything that he's created and given us to our salvation the Lord Jesus, are not just everyday generic things that we ought to set in the background and focus only on the the things to give thanks to God for, particular to this week, but ought we to remind one another of all that we have been given that we enjoy every single day? Of course, songs and prayers of thanksgiving and prayed out loud and mentioned to one another. It's contagious, I take it, Paul is offering us an example. Now an exhortation. I just want to read this passage to you from the book of Colossians. 
the book of Colossians, Paul effectively reverses what he has said in Romans chapter 1, showing us what the Christian life is. Let me read this summary of the Christian life for you. Having heard Romans 1, now listen for some of that language and theology, in particular words and exhortations to give thanks. And Paul writes to that church, If you've been raised with Christ, and so I say to you, friends, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where he is seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you who have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you don't deserve life, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, Put to death, therefore, that which is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these, you too once watched. So you stay humble when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouths. There's that list. And do not lie to each other. For you're now telling the truth about God, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. That's what he's doing in you. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What a better list that is. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against each other, and that's going to happen, forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And now, ending his theology of the Christian life, where Paul began his theology of how things went so wrong, He says, be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, heritage, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thanksgiving is a sign that you know the living God. And not only that you know him, but that you're a worshiper of this one true and living God. So give yourselves to giving thanks to God. And as you may have discounted the trouble that ingratitude has gotten us all in in Adam, don't discount the miracle that is thanksgiving on the lips of a Christian and in the lips of our church. Thanksgiving is a sign and it is also fuel for our church's global mission. Remember that this book is a missionary letter. He is gathering funds to go to the ends of the earth. He has begun by speaking of our problem, which is a problem of ingratitude and false worship in order to speak about Christ and his righteousness, 
so that we might know all that we have in him, so that we might give thanks to God, and so that we might generously give. And that's an unplanned pitch. Truly is. Just right here. But consider that if, as John Piper has so beautifully put it, that missions exists because worship doesn't. In other words, the reason we go to the ends of the earth is because there are places and people among whom God's name is not worshipped. Then we could just as well say that missions exists because thankfulness doesn't. We are sending our sons and daughters, we are going ourselves, and we are generously giving, and we are earnestly praying as we do in order that God might not only receive the praise that is his due, but the thanks that is his due. The plain and humble acknowledgement on the part of, our, of humans that God is who he says he is and the happy appreciation for all that he gives. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that in the Bible we have more than a description of our problem and where we've gone wrong. And we have to agree with that problem, and we have to agree with that description, not only because you've said it, but because we, we know it. Uh, we are unthankful people. We prefer to be the source of our own life and the sustainer of our own lives, but we are not. And we give you thanks for the Spirit of God that has made it possible for us to confess that we are not humbly today. And so we pray that we would not only say it with our lips, but mean it from our hearts, and say it with our lips from our hearts this day and this week and as we sing. We give you thanks especially for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for the victory that is ours through him. We are saved from this body of death. Thanks be to you, Father, for your gracious plan of salvation. We have every reason to thank you as our creator, and we have all the more reason to thank you for sending your son in love to die for us, even when we were still ungodly in ingratitude. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.